I want to welcome everyone here to Spirit Rock. And in a way, um, we are being welcomed by those who have been here for the last month and are really bringing us into their community and joining, inviting us to join with them. I want to thank you very much, first of all, for really uh, having chosen to devote one month or two months to this practice of cultivating awareness and wisdom and compassion. It's a incredible gift that you give to yourself, but that you also give to the others in your life and that you give to a world in deep need of these qualities. We gather here at uh, Spirit Rock, which is, uh, takes its name from the uh, Coast Miwok people who, have, who were here for way longer than any of the recent visitors. I wanted to read something from uh, the words of Greg Saras, who's a leader of the Coast Miwok. He said, we must see the place where we are as only the beginning, the knot a basket maker ties to start her basket from which a sacred world rolls out and coils around us in every direction. It is place that can remind us of what the Coast Miwok people always believed. The sacred is everywhere, in everything, and in us. And so we're here for this month, for the continuation for some of two months. And I wanted uh, to introduce myself. My name is Donald Rothberg. And I'm part of this uh, team, very pleased to to be here. Uh, I I was mentioning to the two-monthers earlier that uh, I, like uh, many of us, have uh, spent a lot of our Februarys and Marches here. I think I've been on this retreat or teaching this retreat 14 of the last 15 years. And so, um, have to be here. (laughs) And that's true for many of us. And I want to introduce the members of the team, uh, Tija Bell, Winnie Nazarko, Heather Sundberg, John Travis, and Mary Grace Orr. And then Orrin J. Sofer is receiving some of his uh, further training, is in the uh, teacher training program, and he will be uh, helping and uh, furthering the training in different ways. We'll talk about that later. So we are a um, forming a community. We want to really welcome everyone and hope to let everyone feel welcome. This is a 
community that we could call uh, a transformational learning community where we we will be uh, supporting each other to look very deeply really as we seldom may have had the chance to do. The, The poet Yeats said that to look deeply into oneself takes more courage than that of a soldier on a battlefield. We want to find ways that we all can feel like we belong here. There may have been ways in other communities where we may not have felt we belong for certain reasons. And we want to really help create the conditions for us all to belong. There may have been differences you may have felt in terms of various concerns of gender or class or ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, and so forth. And we want to somehow move towards creating that larger community. We move towards that um, community that Dr. King called the beloved community. I think we all really uh, feel we want to support that intention. And I also want to acknowledge that if you look at uh, the teachers here, we are, we are diverse in many ways. We are not so diverse ethnically. You may have noticed that. (laughs) We just wanted to acknowledge that, but we want to uh, really uh, nonetheless welcome everyone to to be here and to be here in your fullness. And if there's any way that we could uh, have you feel further connected, further belonging, please let us know. I'm going to give a shorter talk than usual tonight. And then we will invite everyone, including the people here for two months, to stay for the refuges and precepts that we all invite you to take for a second time with your fellow retreatants that are entering now. At that point, after the refuges and precepts, there'll be a time for manager's announcements at that time, we will invite the two-monthers to, for a period of um, walking meditation. And we'll work out the timing. Some of it's a little uncertain. We'll work out the timing, and then we'll come back probably for a very short um, final sitting and chanting. Well, I wanted to find a theme that would make sense both for those who are in the midst of two months and also for those who are starting the retreat this evening. And I chose the theme of the steps or stages of what we might call the spiritual journey. The sense, uh, using the metaphor of the journey, that we are all in a underway. We are all on the way here, even though this particular journey involves a lot of sitting 
with the movement being primarily interior. So I want to explore the stages of the journey tonight. And the journey is a very rich metaphor that's found pretty much universally across traditions. It likens our learning in life in a very simple way to that of leaving home, having different experiences away from home, and coming back. That's it. I could, I could stop there. But there's more. But it's, it's, a, it's this very ancient model. We find it, again, uh, in virtually all traditions. Uh, we find the, uh, in the Australian Aboriginal traditions, there's a notion of the, the one-year walkabout, where people wander and walk through the countryside. Also from indigenous traditions, there's the uh, vision quest where one leaves the familiar community and goes off in search of of visions. In the Chinese tradition, we have the teachings of the Tao, which are the teachings of the way. This is from uh, one Taoist teacher, Tulung. He says, one who travels does so in order to open his ears and eyes and relax the spirit. That's a good description of insight meditation. Relax one's ears and eyes, or open your ears and eyes, sorry, and relax the spirit. And of course, the traditions of India have the image of the path. Buddhist tradition, other Indian traditions, the sense there are these paths that we walk that are in a way, uh, available for us to go in a certain direction. There are paths of sometimes even uh, distinguished paths, paths of knowledge or love or the path of action. And it's also a powerful image in Jewish and Christian traditions. We have the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt, from enslavement, coming to freedom. That that model of the exodus has been a very strong model in Western traditions, very strong particularly in some of the uh, African-American freedom movements, that sense of um, leaving, leaving enslavement, leaving imprisonment and coming to freedom. And there's a song from that tradition uh, that some of you know. I wanted to actually to play it for a little while. It's the, the song, I am a poor wayfaring stranger journeying through this world of woe. There's no sickness, toil, and danger in, this bright, in that bright world to which I go. So I wanted to, wanted to play that right now just for a short time. Maybe to keep, this is uh, Paul Robeson.
I want to talk about the sense of the journey with a few reference points. Um, One of them is the life of the Buddha, who himself, as most of us know, had an archetypal journey of leaving home, of wandering for six years, going through ups and downs, and coming to fruition of his search, and then returning. I'm going to use that as a reference point. I also want to use as a reference point uh, our lives and ask at different times in the talk, ask us how we have navigated some of the different uh, stages. I also want to use as a reference point uh, a wonderful poem that some of you may know called The Journey by Mary Oliver. I want to read it now. And this really has most of the stages of the journey. You can think of this. uh, Maybe see, see what the resonances are. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop, you knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, The stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. So I'm going to go through... uh, what I find to be seven stages, some of them I'll go through briefly, that really bring out this, uh, some of the archetypal senses of this journey that we're all on. The first is being in the taken for granted life, being with the ordinary and habitual. The second is having some sense of the unsatisfactoriness of this arise at a certain point. Some questions about that habitual life. The third is the call for something different, arising and getting stronger. The fourth is the departure from the habitual could mean leaving home, as it did for the Buddha. could mean different things. And then the fifth is really the bulk of the journey, much of what we'll be exploring here, the ups and downs of the journey, the discoveries, the difficulties, the challenges. Now, this journey has a happy ending. Not all journeys do. And we know that, uh, so the sixth stage is awakening. 
I don't think we guarantee awakening in our materials, but, <coughs> but there are small and large awakenings that we, we, all, we all can know. So the sixth stage is awakening, and the seventh stage is return. Return, in some ways, uh, into the everyday world. So these stages may involve actually leaving home. They may be primarily interior. We may stay in our work and in our home and go through something like this, like these stages. So they're going to be very different for each of us. But there may be something like these seven aspects. So I want to go through them. The first is the taking for granted of our lives, the being with the the habitual, the conditioned. We know that the Buddha, for example, led a very protected life. He said, uh, looking back on his life, I was most delicately brought up. Those were his words. And some of us know that his father His father had received a a prophecy from a number of uh, Brahmins who told his father, if your son leads the household life, he will become a righteous universal emperor. But if he leaves home, he will become a Buddha who will remove the veil from the world. That was the prophecy. For whatever reason, his father liked the first and didn't like the second. And so he did everything, as as, again, many of us know, did everything to protect his son from knowing anything that might lead him to leave. All sorts of comforts, all sorts of pleasures, all sorts of protections were there. And so we can ask ourselves, what was, what was the nature of our habitual life that, of course, still is there in certain ways? What does that look like? What are the habits that I have left? What are the habits that are still there for me? The second stage is that in which we come in various ways to question that habitual life. Can happen in all sorts of ways. It might be by feeling drawn to something more than the ordinary life. For some it might be wanting to understand more. For others it might be to be struck by suffering in some way, to have loss or a lot of pain or trauma, and to want something beyond that, to have a deep longing, a deep uh, inclination beyond that. There may be unsettling experiences that we have, loss or illness or being um, opened up by the suffering of the world I know for myself, 
um, probably at a fairly young age, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, it was hard for me sometimes to fathom what I took to be the cruelties of some of the other kids. There was something that just didn't, did not sit right. And where I grew up was in uh, Maryland. And I was also, um, something didn't sit right. There was um, a railroad tracks which went through the middle of the town. On one side of the tracks were mostly poor or some middle class African-Americans. Then there were poor working class um, whites, then more of a middle class, almost entirely white. And we all went to school together. And yet the African-American section was, um, had unpaved roads. And it was, uh, I used to go there, and, but it was something was, uh, didn't sit right. I was, it was mystifying to a young child. You know, and later I, um, probably when I was 10, I learned about the Holocaust and studied it. And, you know, I had my parents had um, people visit who had experienced it, visit our home. And so this all um, definitely opened up questions. You know, so there may be questions that you have, you know, or questions, how can I live with authenticity? How can I... Um, how can I respond to the suffering that I see around me? How can I respond to my own suffering? How can I live with integrity when there is oppression? For the Buddha, again, as many of us know, There were experiences that he had which started to um, puncture the solidity of his life. He had a number of questions that were arising. And you know that at one point he already was married and had a son. His urgency became so great that he did what he had never done before. He left the confines of the palace. You can imagine that for the first time. And it's said that on successive nights, on four successive nights, he encountered an old man, a person who was ill, a corpse, and then a wandering spiritual seeker. And he encountered things he had never encountered before. This, this is from the, uh, from the text. On seeing the old man, he asked, what human form is this so miserable and so shocking to behold, the like of which I have never seen before? His charioteer responded, this man is what is called old. <laughs> to which he responded, is this man the only one of his sort? <laughs> or is this a universal law applying to us all? The charioteer responded, this is the common lot of all that lives. All that is born must come to this if life is preserved. And the shock was immense. 
and the force of those uh, visits outside the usual boundaries led to these deep questions, this deep longing, this deep uh, unsettledness occurring. We can find something like this in the lives of many, many of, uh, many of our spiritual teachers, many of our many great beings. There's something that opens up life more. And I would ask of you, what were your messengers? These four nights, the Buddha was said to have met the four heavenly messengers. What were yours? What woke you up? What took you beyond the habitual? For the great teacher Achan Cha, the Thai teacher, the teacher of Jack Cornfield, even though he was raised in the Buddhist culture and had been a novice, it was actually his father's death when he was about 20 that imparted on him the urgency and really uh, activated his spiritual quest. So the second stage is there there are these questions that are um, there, that are fermenting, as it were. The third stage is hearing the call for something more, and very related to the second stage, that we hear of a possible direction. We, we hear a call to go out from the ordinary. And it may, ta- it may take many forms. For some, it might be to have come to your first retreat or to have gone to other countries or to have um, pursued justice. An interesting thing is that we can hear the call many, many times and not respond fully and still stay partly being turned towards uh, responding to the call and partly with the habitual. I think we know this and in many ways, retreats can also bring out that um, presence of both of those qualities, the habitual, the habitual mind, but also something deeper, whether it's a deep love or a deep aspiration or some vision opens up some sense of radiance maybe can open up. But we hear the call many, many times. We may hear it, be opened up, go on a retreat, come back, answer a lot of emails, and go back to the habits. We'll give you some guidance at the end of the retreat so that doesn't happen exactly like that. I remember when I was 20, when I was in college, um, Ramdas, 
the spiritual teacher, came to my college. I didn't know who he was. And no one knew who he was, particularly. And he, he was talking in a chapel. And I went there. Something drew me there. I had no sense of what he was talking about. There weren't very many people. There were like 12 people. And he talked for four or five hours. <laughs> More or less. And I went there three days in a row. Had not the slightest idea of what he was talking about. At that time, I was in college. I was thought of myself primarily as an activist. And um, so, but something drew me. Something was awakened. Something, I don't, um, I don't know what it was, but something drew me there. And you know, I, and you know, a year or two later, when I started to know more about meditation, I remembered that there was something very important there. So there, the call comes in in various ways. It may come from meeting someone. It may come from a certain experience that just happens spontaneously. In many ways, for the Buddha, the, the call came from the fourth messenger, the spiritual seeker, whom he saw on that fourth night out. So what were the times that you heard a call? What was the nature of the call for you? What called you to be here? What calls you now as you, for some of us, or some of you, as you stay for the second month? What is the call? There's something that's calling. The fourth stage involves the, in some ways, the departure from the habitual and the ordinary. Again, it is sometimes physically leaving. Sometimes it's a more interior departure. For the Buddha, it actually, he received the call and he was determined to depart and there was a kind of a battle going on. His father was trying to make him stay and doing all sorts of things. His father said, turn away the desires of your heart. Mm. That's 2,600 years ago. It's still as painful to hear his father telling him not to follow the desires of his heart. Stay here, stay at home. You know, like in the Mary Oliver poem, mend my life, don't go, don't leave the house in the poem. And so his father was telling him this and the divas or the uh, heavenly uh, beings were basically telling him, go, (laughs) go, go. His father was saying, don't go. They're saying, go. And he was, you know, there's confusion for some time. And eventually he left. And even as he was leaving, his father sent out people to try to bring him back. But he, he got away. And he, he started this quest. So again, what were the important ways that you departed from the ordinary, from the habitual, from what you were conditioned to do? The fifth of these stages is really the 
bulk of the journey itself. It's the process of what we find on the journey, often mysterious, often we meet mysterious beings, magical strangers, a lot of unknown in the journey. Difficulties. In the poem, there's a storm. There are branches everywhere. The Buddha, in his six years, had a very hard time at, uh, quite often. You know, he did concentration practices, the main practices of his, uh, that were offered by the yogic teachers of his time. He became very proficient in them. He was asked to be a teacher, but something in him said, this is not This is opening up bliss. This is opening up vision. But it's not resolving the question of suffering, of birth and death. And there were moments of confusion. There were moments in which he was criticized for going away from what they were teaching. There were times then when he followed a more ascetic path and had incredibly difficult and even brutal experiences of a physical nature with tremendous heat, with tremendous cold. He spoke about periods in which fear and dread were with him for long periods of time. His body was exhausted in many ways and he was often confused. What should I do? I have followed these paths of the teachers and there were moments of, of ups and downs. And this is really the, um, uh, the exploration of our retreat is that we open up to what is there, what is there in our experience. And there is something tremendously mysterious about a retreat. We go on this journey and How many of you have thought, maybe in past retreats, I think I know what will happen in this retreat, and had something totally different happen? How many, anyone want to raise your hand? How many have had that experience of the retreat not being exactly what you thought it would be? About half the people raised their hand, and the other half had the same experience but didn't raise their hand. This is from Rilke, the poet. Go to the limits of your longing. Flare up like flame. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. And so we stay with that process. We stay with that process of exploration. Beautiful experiences occur. Difficult experiences occur. And a lot of our talks in the next weeks will be on how we, uh, really to continue the metaphor, how we navigate with what comes up on the journey. What our resources are, our mindfulness, our wisdom, our opening hearts. Again, I could ask for those of us who've been here for a month, what have been some of the signposts on your journey so far? 
And for those here starting the one month, what have been some aspects of your journey? Some of the ups and downs, some of the learning, some of the beauty, some of the difficulty. And then this sixth stage, I've called the stage of awakening. And in the teaching of the, or in the story of the Buddha, I should say, there was a point at which he gave up the paths, the directions that he had been following. He gave up the ultra ascetic path. And at a very key moment, he, after a period of deep ascetic practices in which he often was close to death, close to starvation, he was offered a kind of milk porridge, milk and porridge by a milkmaid on the banks of a river. And he accepted it, knowing that this went against what he had been taught earlier, what he had agreed to do. Something in him was, this is again resonant to the poem, something in him was listening to that deep, authentic voice of his own being. Again, something we very much uh, support and find here that in many ways this is about touching that uh, very deep, part of ourselves, which knows. Achan Cha, the Thai teacher said, we look to cultivate the one who knows. And and that knowing becomes increasingly equanimous and unshakable and deeply rooted. It's It's a deep truth that we find increasingly in ourselves. And so the Buddha, strengthened by the, the rice milk, decided to sit on the, on the land underneath this tree, this bow tree, the kind of fig tree. And he said he would not move until he reached awakening, indeed full awakening. And even then there were doubts and issues. It's said that Mara, the personification of greed, hatred, and delusion, visited him nine times, even as he was making his vow to awaken. But he stayed. These are, again, these are the voices. They were saying, here, have this wonderful experience. Here, or it could be negative. It could be, you're not good enough. This isn't for you. I'm not good enough. I can't be myself, whatever it is. Those voices keep occurring and yet the Buddha persevered and some deep understanding came, which he explored and then taught about for 45 years. particularly related to the nature of suffering, 
and the nature of freedom. For us, I think there are sometimes large or dramatic awakenings, but we also follow this path of what we might call small awakenings, the moments of being mindful, of being aware, of being present, of having the heart open. And those moments of awakening are happening all the time. And so you see, in a sense, these stages, in a given day, you might have all the stages occur. It's not so linear, is it? It's maybe circular or a spiral. And we may have these moments of awakening. And then 10 minutes later, we're back in a habit. Do you know that? (laughs) And yet we keep going. We keep going. We work with these resources again of awareness and kindness and wisdom. So how are you? awake already, right now? How have you been awake at moments? And the last stage is the return. Can be a return to the everyday world, We're back to ordinary interactions with people. For Mary Oliver, it was after finding her voice, it was going deeper and deeper into the world, she said. And this is where we come back, we return, and yet there's a difference. You know, in so many of the traditions of the journey, one goes on a journey and one comes back with gifts or one comes back with powers, or one comes back with fresh vision, seeing in a different way. The British historian Arnold Toynbee said, the hallmark of cultural renewal is having people who go away from that culture for a while and then return. That's where cultural creativity comes from. And so there are gifts that we come back with. I won't say so much more about the return. We'll come back to the return when we get closer to the return. But there's a way in which that return is is about integration. And we go on this journey, and the journey is unusual in certain ways. You know, where we, we... travel lightly, we here, we're in silence, we're in a lot of stillness, it's different. And then we, we do this for the sake of learning. And then there are gifts, there are insights, and then eventually we bring this back to the world. Again, deeply, deeply in need of insight, wisdom, awareness, love, kindness, skillful action. Let me finish just by reading the poem one more time and see if you can hear this with a little bit different ears. 
The Journey by Mary Oliver. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. So may we support each other on this journey. This is a shared mysterious journey for this next month. And it may have many of the features I talked about. So remember them (laughs) and look out for them. A map is sometimes helpful. As one of the great yogis of the 20th centuries said, if you don't know where you're going, you may not get there. This was Yogi Berra. (laughs) For those who may not know who Yogi Berra is, (laughs) he was the Hall of Fame uh, catcher for the New York Yankees. Okay. So, yeah, may the journey be wonderful in all the right ways. Thank you for your kind attention.